In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Lottery Marathon winner is David McKennett of San Marcos, California. David will get a marathon decal showing he watched 26.2 hours of his favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Sonia Sells, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today, we are looking at the two-part crossover event from this week, Special Victims Unit, Season 22, Episode 9, Return of the Prodigal Son, and Law & Order, Organized Crime, Season 1, Episode 1, What Happens in Puglia. When we cast out our net, we might end up dragging in the people who hired your wife's killer. I sincerely hope we do. But our charge is to bust an international drug cartel that skated under the radar for two decades. Okay? Understood. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. I'm sorry it's been so long, Kevin. It's you just ghosted me all those years. And I don't want to say we were ghosted, but it has been a long time since we've talked to our special guest. And we're so thankful that she has come back. We want to uh, welcome from the Rewind the Love podcast, Sonia Sells. Hi, Sonia. Hi, guys. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, my God. I can't tell you how happy I am to see your face. It's so great. It's so great. The feeling is mutual. So uh, you now have a podcast called Rewind the Love, and it's you look back at Rebecca's favorite TV era, VH1 celebrity reality shows. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So I actually do that show with my husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot has changed since I was here Lame. last. And, uh, <laughs> Lame idea. Well, you know, what's funny is I had you guys in mind when I launched it because I remember seeing some of the... Uh, comments you tended to get Rebecca yeah and I was like hi I wonder if that'll ever happen to me and literally earlier this week someone's like you know the show would be a lot more enjoyable if she was nicer to the male (laughs) co-host oh god you watched long enough to pick up on the dynamic but you didn't listen long enough to realize that we were married I don't why do people think that that is helpful to send an email saying well your co-host laughs too much why do you think that that is going to help anything? Kevin, everybody knows white men need a boost whenever possible. Yeah. Oh, and they feel very bad for you every time I have an opinion that's different or uh-huh. when I am hosting the show that I host and I'm like, shush now. 
That's really hurtful. Oh, the audacity of us trying to keep <laughs> the show we're making streamlined. I know. Such, we're such bitches. Uh, well, it's always women that address the email to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Sonia, which was better for American culture? Rock of love or flavor of love? Um, neither. And I believe that both of those men deserve all of the smoke. They are predators. It, well, allegedly, <laughs> it's disgusting. Mm. Like all of those women now, I think watching, I think at the midway point between the ages of Brett Michaels and Flavor Flav and the women they uh, brought on, women in quotes, I'm thoroughly disgusted. All of those women were in their 20s and like Flavor's in his 50s and just, yes. ugh. So I guess looking back at men on television, it uh, apparently all around it doesn't hold up well. No, I mean uh, age <laughs> gaps in Hollywood. Who would figure? So Sonya, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. Uh, so I know last time I said Benson and Stabler, but I love the dynamic between Finn and Munch, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like I have to. The same. I don't know. My relationship with policing has changed so much. I think even yes. since the last time I was here that yes. <laughs> I think I love the way they love each other, but I don't love them as cops. Right. I mean, SVU, I, as much as I loved it before, obviously, it's really become like my pandemic background show. Like my husband mm-hmm. will be like, I've seen this one already. And I'm like, so have I. That's what's your point? That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, duh. And uh yeah, no, watching now them chase the wrong lead the entire episode until the last 15 minutes until they just happen into some clue or revisit something they should have looked at correctly the first time. Uh, yeah, that's awful policing every single week. I've been saying that for years. Mm-hmm. I've been saying that even before my relationship with policing changed. <laughs> it was not good. <laughs> and Sonia, who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Oh, Barba. Still. All day. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Still so hot. And he came back with a beard this season. God damn. They're, they know their audience. He also said that what he's been doing in the meantime is working with the Innocence Project. <laughs> and I keep thinking, if you supplied the Innocence Project with more business. Yes. <laughs> All right. So now let's take a look at the first half of this crossover event. SVU Season 22, Episode 9, Return of the Prodigal Son. Well, Liv is late for her own award ceremony when she's diverted to a midtown car bombing. She immediately recognizes the person in the ambulance as Kathy Stabler and turns to find a shell-shocked Elliot Stabler, just a boy, standing in front of a girl, <laughs> asking her who the fuck blew up his car. <laughs> How did this happen? Why? Rollins is at the scene. A uni told her it was a rental car parked on the street. Kathy went to get in, and the bomb went off. Arson thinks it misfired and threw her clear. A rental car? Where, where are they in from? They've been living in Italy. Elliot had to come in for some type of a task force meeting, and he and Kathy decided to make it a trip. He just called me out of nowhere and told me he was coming. I may have spoken about your award. I thought enough time had gone down between you two. Seems Elliot has been living in Rome for the past four years as the NYPD international liaison to Italy. You know, exactly the job he's most qualified for. (laughs) Finn and Rollins bring in a guy arrested for throwing a Molotov cocktail at a police van during an anti-mask rally. The guy, Jacob Peters, spelled with a Q, (laughs) denies blowing up the Stabler's rental car. That's when Elliot comes in demanding to question him because my family! 
And that's when he starts rolling up his sleeves and charges Peters, and America's like, yeah, Stabler's back. (laughs) (laughs) Kathy awakes, and Olivia meets Elliot at the hospital, and she says, oh, look at the two of you together. And then she says, I'm suspiciously tired. (laughs) In the waiting room, Elliot wants to talk out why he never called after he left, and Olivia's response is, what the actual fuck, man? Mm. Garland, Cat, Rollins, and Carisi are all little maze to this guy who shot six, beat up many, and had multiple IAB investigations that this guy is anywhere near this case. <laughs> Finn has a drink with Elliot trying to see if the bombing has anything to do with his organized crime cases. DNA from the cell phone bomb trigger is a familial match to Yuri Lensky, a prisoner who refuses to give up a relative but his mistress as the bomber for hire is likely his nephew, Sasha Linsky. Carisi wants to charge Sasha and put pressure on him to give up his employer. And just as the public defender is about to discuss a deal, in walks a really expensive lawyer suspiciously retained on his behalf. No deal, Sonny. That's when Liv gets a call to get back to the hospital. She finds Stabler standing outside Kathy's room. But she's not there, and everything's been cleaned out. Thanks, Obama. (laughs) Carisi now wants to up the pressure and charge Sasha with Kathy Stabler's murder. Cat and Finn go to pull him out of Rikers, but find him dead in his cell with a hot shot needle in his arm, made to look like an overdose. Liv wants to find out who got to him, but Garland takes the investigation away from SVU and gives it to Intel because he realized nobody got raped (laughs) and they should not be doing this investigation. (laughs) Kidding. Benson, now on her fifth trip back and forth from the hospital, finds Elliot mourning with his children in the chapel. Okay, so this is what I call the MacGuffin car bomb. You think? Yeah, the only purpose is to bring Benson and Stabler back together and be the impetus for Stabler's new show. And the whole crime B plot, I just think, is insignificant. I don't even remember it. You're like reading it. (laughs) I watched it yesterday, and I'm like, really? That happened? That happened? That happened? Why? Did, was she called to this scene to begin with? She was closest. I don't know. And why did they even start investigating it when every time they show up at a scene where someone's been raped, they immediately push the other cops aside. And they're like, no kids. This one belongs to us. Mm-hmm. But no one ever does that to them. It's weird. But it's not completely a MacGuffin. You're wrong about that. There is a purpose to kill Kathy, which I predicted <laughs> months ago. I They literally. I mean, how many times has SVU related to a rape or trafficking or something done work with organized crime syndic- mm. like done something mm-hmm. related to organized crime syndicates so I saw the trailer and I was like oh maybe this you know they they find a rape victim in a car or something like that and maybe that's what brings them together uh no they literally did all of this to fridge Kathy like yeah, yeah. and on on two levels right because there is the they're playing into the shipping you know mm-hmm. like oh now right. that now that this problem is out of the way you know they can finally be together but also literally they they do the traditional fridging like so he has a purpose to get vengeance on all yeah. criminals like what yeah. the hell it's so stupid it's so funny because there is this idea and i this is why i knew they were going to kill her off there's this idea that like a man cannot be at the center of a show unless there's a potential for romantic interest like there's like that's a thing right uh-huh, yeah. the only show i can think of that ever like bucked that completely was friday night lights mm-hmm. where at the center of it was this like extremely functional marriage and like the person went home to their wife like every day and like that was part of the show why couldn't Kathy be a part of this show? She's a freaking great character. She's the only one in the goddamn Stabler family who can act. 
So why would why would they keep all these stupid kids? I think she didn't want to. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I, I, well, like that's all I was thinking. Like this woman signed up to be a cop's wife on television. Like you know she did like not sign up five years ago. Right, yeah. exactly. She did not think she was auditioning for this role to still be playing it twenty years later. I mean, we didn't even see her face straight on. I think like once the entire episode. She didn't want right. to be here. She probably didn't even wear pants the whole time. We never even saw that. I am not wearing uh, pants right now. Right, like relatable. <laughs> well, look, wouldn't America be really disappointed if Stabler showed up at the squad room and didn't say, I want to talk to him? I, I'm i amazed. Like, just, <laughs> and, like, and I watched it twice, right? Cried both mm-hmm. times at the opening, but that's besides the point. Um, I I watched it twice, and on the second watch, Carisi and Kat's face, when Stabler just walks in like he owns the place, like... What's his deal? He's targeting cops to protect cops? Yeah, there's a lot of that lately. These guys have been enabled for the last four years, so they're not backing down now. Hi, I'm Elliot Stabler. Who are you? I'm Officer Catriona Tamin. 88 Dominic Carisi. Who the fuck let you in here? Excuse me. Like, who let you in here? No, you're not wrong. Haven't Carisi and Rollins been on the show longer than Elliot Stabler was on the show at this point? Well, Ice-T certainly has. Oh, yeah. How long was Elliot Stabler? Nine years? Twelve years. Yeah. How long has Rollins been on the show? Like a long time. Nine or ten. Yeah. Well, they're almost, she's almost caught I mean, she came in the very next episode. Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, it's just, um, yeah. Like, but then none of them know who he is. That's what's so funny is that the audience is oriented to be like, oh, it's Elliot. Every other character besides Finn is like, who the fuck is that? No, I feel like they do know, but they're like, they know enough to they're know that down. he should know. Yeah. They know enough to know that, like, he should not be here, like, yeah. for a variety of reasons. And I love that Liv's decision, like, uh, asking Garland to take the cases based on, well, I'm really close to it. Isn't yeah, that the opposite a, of the reason? It's the opposite. That always exactly. makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. Now, we've said this before, and we'll say it again. Who the fuck walks into a New York City hospital without a mask? <laughs> walking through the halls, the two of them together. Everyone on the show, all, all the main people, all the background people are always in masks. Yeah. Anyone who's talking to anybody, immediately, like, no mask. I That's, don't get it. I, like, the people far enough away that they wouldn't necessarily need one are the ones that are in masks. And then I think Elliot has a line at some point, oh, yeah, only one person's allowed in the hospital, like, in the room at a time because of COVID. And it's like, both of you were in there, maskless. Yeah. yeah. Isn't there a bouncer at the door of the think? hospital? And they're like, you don't here, here's a mask if you don't have one. There's certainly nurses all around who could just walk by and hand you one at any point. It's the fucking ICU, yeah, man. Yeah. That's where all those patients are. Yeah. Yep. And Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> in a conveniently oh, empty hospital in New York City. Go for it. <laughs> All right, we'll look at the organized crime cast later, but in this SVU, we do have a couple of Hey, It's That Guys. We do. Hey, it's that guy. Can you tell me, who is the actor playing Detective Elliot Stabler? (laughs) (laughs) I think I've seen him in something before. Shouldn't have even been driving. I got a call. I stepped away. I gave her the keys. She's worried we were going to be late for your award. I meant to give you a call. It's okay. Please, it is the most jacked version of Chris Maloney that could possibly oh. exist. He looks like the, what's the guy from the Avengers movie with the giant chin? Thanos? That's what Elliot Stabler <laughs> looks like now. He's huge. See, I think he looks like Elliot Stabler left out in the sun for a week. <laughs> he looks like a sun-dried tomato Elliot Stabler. Yeah. With huge muscles and a yes. giant chin. Right, that would be uh, Christopher Melanie. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sorry, Mal- Maloney. I think it was like Wet Hot American Summer, right? That yeah. <laughs> 275 Law and Order Universe appearances. Uh, he, so what happened with Chris Maloney? He tried to negotiate a higher salary for season 13. The story is 
both sides played hardball. Dick Wolf's folks said, no way. He said, fine, I'll go and I'll just do what I want artistically. And that included roles in True Blood, Man of Steel, Happy, and playing Donald Trump in the miniseries The Kellyanne Conway Story. No. No, I'm serious. No. Yes. Get out. Is that like TBD, like coming? I don't know. I know this was a couple of years ago. Why Kellyanne Conway in this? I know. How have we not heard about this? (laughs) I I don't think it was on NBC or Showtime. Was it Rollins playing Kellyanne Conway? (laughs) No, no. Because she could. No, it was a small cast. You look it up on IMDb. It's a real thing. He also played Donald Trump in the Kellyanne Conway story video game. What? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Video game. Come on. So he joins the long list of Dick Wolf actors who got the boot, but were brought back, apparently with no hard feelings. Those include Dan Florick, mm-hmm. Chris Noth. Uh-huh. I've been calling him Chris Noth. Nah. So, yeah, I was corrected. Chris Noth, Stephanie March, and then also guest appearances by actors like Richard Brooks, Raul Esparza, which we talked about, mm-hmm. Carrie Lowell, Linus Roach, Catherine Irby, Carolyn McCormick, Sam Waterston, Annabelle Esquiora earlier this season. Plus recasting in other wolf shows like Jeremy Sisto, Elena De La Garza, and Esapetha Murkison. Uh, so I guess you have to have a Michael Moriarty level <laughs> meltdown <laughs> to really be booted by Dick Wolf. Yeah, Dick Wolf is a, has a big heart. He well, also he also knows what the people want, right? Nobody wanted Michael Moriarty back. <laughs> so. God. Send him a fax. <laughs> Tell him. Also from this episode, did you recognize? The judge, Colin McNamara, at the arraignment of uh, our bad guy. Nope. No. Wrong case, Counselor. This is Sasha Lenski, charged with attempted murder of a police officer. He's played by Stephen Bradbury, 18 appearances as that judge. Wow, 18 is a lot. Yeah, he's he was, Sonia, you may remember this, he was the judge who let the defendant choke Barba with the belt. <laughs> nice! Oh, That's it. one of your favorites, it's I know. One, it is one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> he has no chill. Uh, so he, this actor, is best loved as Mr. Tubman from the ABC After School special, otherwise known as Sheila the Great by Judy Bloom. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, Mr. Tubman. Mr. Tubman. What, I don't know. That was Who wouldn't want that on their resume? I would want that on my resume. <laughs> so lastly, did you recognize the actor playing Stephen Cryer, the really bad defense attorney? No. no. My client is pleading not guilty, and we've requested that he be released on his own recognizance Pending dismissal of the shoplifting charge. All right, I know you're not going to recognize his face, but he is the voice of the orange M&M. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the first M&M we've I had on this show, is it? No. Who is the voice of the yellow M&M? J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. Oh, J.K. Simmons. <laughs> Who is? <laughs> oh, my God. Is he rushing or dragging, though? No, That's always the goodness. question. <laughs> so we have a couple of fan service scenes. Several fan service scenes no, in this, this. Well, I mean, I feel like this episode is all. I was going to say it's but, it's entirely it's it's a it's fan fiction. It's a ship show. It's yeah. a ship show. Uh, so I think the best one might have been the first one in the waiting room. The uh, you want to do this now? I think I thought if I talked to you about how you walked away because that's what you did, Elliot. I had to find out from Cragen. single most important person in my life Olivia and you just disappeared 
I really felt like we saw the post-Stabler Captain Olivia Benson character dealing as, as a mature character, emotionally mature character, dealing with somebody that deeply hurt her mm. and, a, and, a, and a somewhat different dynamic than old Benson in Stabler. Am I reading too much into this? No, I felt that more during the interrogation. Mm-hmm. During the interrogation when it was interesting because she goes into that whole thing with Garland and Carisi of, oh, no, I'm not going to let him, you know, like, I'm, I'll be good, I'll be good. And she immediately defers back to that dynamic. And uh-huh. then quickly snaps back, like gets into her, look at me, I'm the captain now face, you know, mm-hmm. gets into that moment and just it, their dynamic was just so rich for a show that is so shallow. So I also saw that, Kevin, and I liked it because I have never been like, and I mean, I know that they had chemistry and stuff as actors, but like I have always hated the fact that he was like the alpha in the relationship mm-hmm. in so many ways. Yeah, that's a good way Because she's it. a better cop. She's a nicer person. And he just gave her so much shit relentlessly, like over not being a parent and blah, blah, blah. Now here she is. And she like is on the other side of all of it. She's higher ranked than him. Correct. At this point, like a lot by a lot. Oh, yeah. She's a captain. He's still a <laughs> oh, detective. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and, you know, she's she's seen things. Although it is funny that no one wants to tell him that she used to fuck Tucker. That is hilarious. I- Oh it was God. hinted at. I would, of all the things that I was waiting for in this episode, I would love to be a fly on the wall, or I guess hopefully they show it, when he eventually finds out that that serious partner was Tucker. Because he put them, I mean, that relationship is still infuriating to me, because how are you going to fall in love with a man that gave you nothing but hell, has been the biggest villain on the show for so many years, but... It's a lot of hate fucking. A villain yeah. for trying to keep cops, you know, doing the job yeah. correctly. And in 2021, we realized Tucker was the hero all along. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, getting back to that scene, Mariska, I think, does a great job because I think it is harder to play angry and hurt quietly mm. and small as opposed to yelling and screaming. Not for women, man. That's how we get angry. Mm. Passive uh, aggression think, is our but shit, But I think man. playing that in a, in a TV scene, but maybe again, maybe I considering I'm, how much they okay. love each other too, it must have been a complicated thing to access. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they do love each other. It seems like they're very tight. Those two, uh, yeah. lit- physically, like they are physically always touching, very tightly. <laughs> <laughs> so Stabler says to Finn, "Hey, uh, while my wife's unconscious, mm. why don't we get a drink together?" <laughs> <laughs> and then he does the high school thing, like. How is she? What's she up to? (laughs) I just felt that so much time had passed that I I couldn't reach out to you both. I get it. Look, let me bring you up to speed. Liv moved on. It took her a minute, but she moved on. She has a son now. She's had a couple of relationships. One was pretty solid. Son? Good for her. Who's the guy? (laughs) You have to ask her that. Don't these two have Facebook? Isn't that how you find out about folks? Like, could it, like, right? Like, it's like, okay, we never talked for this many years. There's literally no excuse for that in the digital age. Yeah, there's also no. no reason for them not to have talked. Like, they could have come, put them back together, and they could have told us that they had been in some kind of touch, like, mm-hmm. over the years in some way. And I wouldn't have known otherwise. They don't really explicitly ever say on the show, I haven't talked to Elliot in 10 years. And they just erased him from any sort of mentions on the show. Yeah. The past, like, the first couple... Uh, uh, episodes with what's his name yeah tomorrow why yeah. would he have come to this award ceremony and we've legitimately seen her get awards like 17 other times why this one because it's time he was waiting <laughs> for the right moment rebecca because he was actually in new york for some that. other reasons well, right. well like, i think 
it's like when uh, your life isn't going great and you like pray that you never like run into an ex or somebody you used to hate. Mm-hmm. But now like your life's going a little bit better so you can like flex on. I'm like, oh, yeah. So I can say that I've been in Italy this whole time and I've got this really gorgeous villa and like, you know, yes. like what? I- <laughs> so he came back to flex, basically. I don't live in that shitty house in Queens anymore. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, apparently it was Kathy's idea to come. So, you know, her own fault. Yeah. Yeah. She had it coming. The, the ladies to blame again. <laughs> there can only be one. Well, look, a stabler talks to Finn about his feelings. Rollins talks to Benson about hers. You never talked to much about Stabler. All I know is when I got here, his desk was empty of a shrine. Yeah, Stabler had a pretty big presence in the squad room. I know Nick always felt the brunt of trying to fill his shoes. From what he told me, you and Stabler had a complicated relationship. Again, I thought that was a good way for her to you know, work it out a little bit. But you'll also find that Rollins said that Amaro always felt that he was in Stabler's shadow. Oh, yeah. And I think no Danny... No shit, so did we. And I think Danny Pino texted Kelly Giddish and said, <laughs> you better say this when you get the chance. Oh, poor Danny Pino. I'm sure he felt... Yeah, they hired a dark-haired guy to replace a formerly dark-haired, now bald guy, mm-hmm. uh, who had the same anger issues, except worse and douchier, and was mean to his wife instead of being nice to his wife. Mm-hmm. And spoke like, Spanish. Basic- yeah, but they, but they basically <laughs> took everything about Elliot, they transferred it to this other character, and they added a bunch of other shitty stuff. And then we're supposed to think that, you know, he's not trying to fill Elliot's table yeah. shoes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've sort of been hinting a little bit in these past few episodes about bringing Stabler back and what it means in 2021. I understand in 1999 why you would write the lead male character that way. You've got two characters and they have to be opposite of one another. They can't both be the same. So you've got Benson, who is more empathic, and you've got Stabler, who's a hothead. And I think for a decade, we loved it or we we were okay with it because I think a lot of America didn't think that really happened. Yeah. Right? It took a while for the rest of America to go, let's say, for white America to go, oh, shit, maybe that just isn't something that happens on TV. (laughs) And to sort of, like, really see it. And especially in the organized crime episode, Mm. we get a lot of people calling out Stabler for having been Stabler. Yeah. It was fantastic. I felt like I was in the writer's room saying someone else needs to also tell him he's a dick. (laughs) So I was enjoying I literally have like a whole subset of bullet points in my notes about uh, the Garland and Benson conversation because it was just I've been struggling with this season a lot. Right. Because Mm -hmm. they've done a lot of uh, bad guys on both sides, like with the Antifa versus like the whatever they are the terrorists like there was even like a thin blue line flag a set dressing like it's just been a really complicated season to watch but i feel like they put garland's bit in to uh, particularly to speak for all of us which is it wasn't even just like hey you were a bad cop and you treated people really shitty it was like hey if you were anything other than a like white guy, like a cishet white man, you would not have had even a fraction of these chances. You wouldn't have even had the chance to make a mistake, let alone recover from so many. But I believe that he changed. I hope so. Forgive me if I have my doubts. A grunt former Marine, a night college degree and a CPI like this. He goes off the grid for six years and somehow the old boy never got him back on the force. Because he's a good detective. And lucky it wouldn't happen today. Right. Mm -hmm. He shot six people. Six people. And like six. And Benson, what was her <laughs> I wrote down a couple of her lines because they were so weird. It was he like He cared too much. That's yeah. Why. <laughs> he look, he got too rough back in the day, but it wasn't just testosterone. It was because he cared 
so much. Yes. And yeah. I'm not making excuses and I'm not apologizing for him, but I believe that he's changed, except for the fact that he came in, rolled up his sleeves, and immediately assumed that the first man he saw was responsible for she, blowing she up She sounded wife. like an abused wife. She did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She did. Like, for real. Honestly, it sounded like either in a, someone who's just been in an abusive relationship forever, who's like sees both sides of a person and, and weighs the good over the bad, even though yeah. the bad is really fucking bad. Yeah, and there continues to be this tension, and I, I actually think it's good for the show where they are trying to reconcile policing in 2021 and what happens they're they're barely trying i mean yeah they're i'll I'll say in the first episode olivia had a had a exchange with garland and she said something like we did it by the book and garland says it's that book that got us where we are today yeah yeah i've been loving they're both right but i love Garland. yeah Yeah, he's great i really the problem is that book is why you are here right Right. You know, anyway. uh, at one point when Kathy finally er, stapler sitting in the waiting room and goes like, oh, she left without saying goodbye. And I was fully expecting live without missing a beat to say, well, now you know how it feels. No! <laughs> Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this crossover event, Law & Order, Organized Crime, Season 1, Episode 1, What Happens in Puglia. Detective, and it's amazing we can still call him that, Elliot Stabler, (laughs) sneaks into the courthouse holding cell to confront the Italian mobsters who processed Sasha Lenski's payoff for the bombing. That's when, in front of witnesses... He threatens their lives in Italian. Mm. Guess who got Rosetta Stone, bitches? <laughs> <laughs> so meet the new stabler, same as the old stabler. Except with another language. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell, Ellie? I just wanted to see the reaction when I said Lenski's name. This isn't your house anymore. You can't just bust in and put your feet up on the table and do whatever you damn please. Connection to Lenski. It's the first concrete evidence that we've got that I may have been targeted. Which makes keeping you on this even more of a conflict for me. Stabler meets with Benson to get some things from their investigation, including Sasha's cell phone. He gives her an envelope with the speech he was going to give her at her award ceremony, which is actually just the Emmy acceptance speech he never got to give, but Mariska did. Aww. Sick burn. Sick burn. (laughs) So he brings the burner cell to a sassy little hacker with a baller apartment and learns that Sasha had visited a storage facility run by newly paroled mobster Manfredi Sinatra. (laughs) Before they raid the place, they learned that it had been used as a hookah pipe bar for the recently deceased Rafik Wheatley. Inside, they find a forged Italian ID of Stabler, plus paperwork connected to a counterfeit 
PPE ring he busted in Puglia. So how is a black street-level dealer like Rafiq connected to a mob boss like Sinatra, someone who is, quote, a known racist? And now, let's go to the tape. (laughs) For answers, Stapler visits the dead kid's mom, math professor Angela Wheatley, who's not interested in helping him find the killer. After leaning on a couple of inmates, Elliot gets a message to Sinatra that he wants to talk. But first... A funeral! Mm. So just like one of those sad Brady Bunch reunions, all the season 1 to 12 Stabler kids bid farewell to Kathy with only Olivia in attendance. Well, thanks, Dr. Fauci! (laughs) (laughs) But Elliot's grieving must wait until after his one-on-one with Sinatra. The mobster says he knows nothing about Rafi's hookah joint or the car bomb. So cut to Sinatra visiting his son, a turtlenecked wine snob with biracial children that you know he's not happy about. Mm. He accuses him of running some kind of scheme behind his back, and you know he totally is. Elliot learns that Richard Sinatra is now known as philanthropist and legitimate businessman Richard Wheatley, Mm. Dr. Mm. Wheatley's ex-husband. While talking with the professor about this, a would-be assassin sprays bullets from the back of a motorcycle. You know, the most accurate way to do it. (laughs) Later, Elliot gets an encrypted message to meet at the Wonder Wheel on Coney Island. Sinatra arrives to rendezvous with the detective, but Richard is already there waiting for him. They get in the Ferris wheel, and at the top, Richard says he can forgive his father for trying to sell him out to Stabler, but he can't for him calling his black wife that word. Elliot later finds Sinatra's body and snatches his phone. He makes his way back to whoever's apartment he's staying in, and he finds Benson waiting for him. She wants to talk about the things he wrote in his speech, but he says, ah, i hit you up later. (laughs) So obviously this is a crossover. A couple of things. All right, if you watched NBC... The end of SVU, they dumped the credits and went directly into organized crime. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was kind of seamlessly, so you didn't even realize that the show had started. And because of that, we did not hear Stephen Zinkleton's new introduction. That's the voice. Right. The, these are the stories voice. Right. But this is what it sounds like. In the nation's largest city, the vicious and violent members of the underworld are hunted by the detectives of the Organized Crime Control Bureau. These are their stories. <laughs> That dude has been smoking. He sounds Hi. really old. <laughs> yeah, right? It's a, it's a very different energy. <laughs> yeah. He's Actually, like, I, I, I'm assuming it's Stephen uh, Zinkleton. Uh, it sounds like him. It yeah, sure sounds like older, him. older, right? Yeah, there, there's mm-hmm. one other thing that happened with that quick dump that I noticed, and I don't know, Sonia, if you noticed as well. I don't want to stereotype you because I think this is the kind of thing that ladies notice more than men. The um, the production of the organized crime show is so much more high-end than the SVU. <laughs> like, the sets are fucking big beautiful and real like natural light the svu the courthouse has those like fake styrofoam columns that are sponge painted and the organized crime they were like real on location shooting i was like this is a nicer world than the one we've been living in for I, the last it decade was, it, like they are really trying to say we are not that anymore like dick wolf is trying out something completely new and i mm. kind of love him for it the quality was better like the the theme slapped all the scoring <laughs> spectacular like Mm. all of these little elements that i was like they really like they really did their work they're trying they're trying yeah i mean uh, as far as production goes the lighting is distinct from any of the other shows it's a very cool white uh with lots of windows old school svu the sets were dark and front lit and then after stabler left they were brightened and there's a warm yellow light 
throughout. Um, to make the women look younger. Criminal mm-hmm. intent has has a sort of blue tone light. Yeah. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the color temperature for that one. Uh, there are six episodes listed on IMDb. And one other production thing I noticed in the SVU episode, extensive use of what's called the Dutch angle. Yeah. That's when the camera is tilted and you get like this dramatic look. And it's supposed to indicate something has changed or something has been revealed. Uh-huh. And it's it's used a couple of different times, you know, like walking down the hallway at Rikers and some of the meetings. And it's not something that they have done an awful lot of. And huh. so I thought mm-hmm. it was distinctive. So they brought in new people is what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah I did think that organized crime looked a little bit fincher. And mm-hmm. then the one thing that really stuck out to me is that the way it's lit, Elliot Stabler and Dylan McDermott's eyes are like super like dune super blue. Super blue. When they look <laughs> oh. into natural light. Oh, my God. Like they've been eating the spice. <laughs> <laughs> they did that for the girls in the gays. Like, I'm convinced. They're like, listen, we know you're not going to be super interested in this concept. However. <laughs> look how beautiful these men look. <laughs> <laughs> so there are six episodes listed on IMDb of organized crime. And instead of a you know mob crime of the week, it looks like it's going to be a season long effort to take out the big bad, mm. which is also a departure. But, you know, probably more realistic than in organized crime. These are supposed right. to be like long investigations. So are we happy with the amount of Benson Stabler reconciliation time that we got and then moving on or their ability to move on? Or is it more realistic that they, they're going to need time to reestablish the relationship? So it's a couple of episodes. Not like with Finn. Hey, how you been, man? Mm, I wasn't uh, happy with it. You weren't happy with it? Sonia, I, what about you? I know the shippers weren't happy with it. Because I, I wasn't really. Well, what's weird is I was never really a shipper until the scene in the snow. When I'm looking at them as like two real adults, like some of the older dynamics had gone away and they're now looking at each other as two, well, I would say equals, but that's not really fair to Benson. Can't believe you lived in Rome. In this great apartment, terrace overlooking this 15th century palazzo. You'd have loved it. You know, Elliot, I, I can't. Well, I would have liked a Noah introduction. That would have been nice. I felt like we were robbed of a Noah introduction. And I... I don't know, like there's just, there was a little something missing there, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no, I actually was very, I, hey, we never find out what's in the fucking letter. Like, like. We will by the time these six there, episodes are up. Is there going to be up? more yeah. crossing over? Do we know that? It looked like it in the yeah. preview for next week. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering because yeah. it is extremely unsatisfying. Although I did find the snow scene quite satisfying because she was like not, in, she was not interested and like really like, she could have stood there talking to him forever and instead she was like, nope, I'm gonna Yeah, I can't do this. Well, yeah. she, but she didn't even say goodbye. She just turned around and started running away. It was, she loved. has that line where she's like, he's, they're laughing about like Italy and the villa and she just kind of like snaps back into being like, oh yeah, this person hurt me and she turns around and she goes, you know, Elliot, I can't. And I was like, yeah. yes, girl, you can. But also what specifically can you not? Because I'm a little confused. He says that what triggers her is when he talks about their apartment and he says, you would you would have loved it. Yeah. Sort of implying and like she says, I can't do this, implying like in an alternative universe, it could have been the two of them there. I mean, oh. that's what it sounded like to me. Or right? you could have visited. It, it sounds to yeah. me like he's saying like it's almost like we could have been there together or we could have had time there together, even if you'd visited me. But it Greatest was friends. him that yeah. left her. And so it was a fucking uncool thing to say. I was just like, mm. ew, don't okay. say that. Your wife has been dead for four fucking minutes like what are you mm. doing uh, and I can't believe the only thing he's not talking about is that his wife died why is he at work like seriously because his children need closure <laughs> yeah because he's gotta right he's gotta work through the pain <laughs> I don't know whatever so we learned that the mob scam around this is that in Italy it has to do something with counterfeit PPE 
So now I know why no one is wearing any on the show. Because <laughs> they don't trust it. They're like, oh, <laughs> the smell's Italian. I guess it's a lucrative business, but like when they said, oh yeah, counterfeit PP, I'm like, wait, what? Like fake, like what was it? Below health grade masks or something yeah. like that? Line, actually, I'm like, wait, what? We actually got some of that in uh, shipment to our state. I don't know if you remember, Kevin, but the gloves had like four fingers. Oh my God. <laughs> and, like, and like some of the outfits, like the, the all over outfits, like they didn't have sleeves, like the sleeves weren't open. So the, were they made by political Prisoners I don't know. People would like put their arm in, and like there'd be no hole for the hand to come out in the sleeves. And people got sick for some reason. Yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> Meantime, someone says, "Oh, it's been a week. We need to do something with Mom's body." Yeah. And this is the part where we learn who grew up to be an actor. Mm-hmm. One of them. <laughs> exactly one of them grew up to be an actor. Uh, then they have this funeral and nobody's there. Finn didn't come. Munch didn't come. None of the kids' friends came. They must have all thought, didn't you have that funeral like two weeks ago? Isn't Cragen still alive at this he point? He is. Yeah, Craigan, she, why wasn't he there? Uh, he's pro- he's probably in Italy or something. Yeah, he's still, why wasn't Stephanie he's still on that trip around the world? Yeah, yeah, I guess. I well, guess. I think maybe it's a COVID thing, right? So that's why Benson is there. She gives zero fucks about COVID, apparently. Absolutely not. Okay, so on organized crime, the cast here, can you name me the cigar-loving wine snob turned mafioso Richard Wheatley? That is Dylan McDermott and not Dermot Mulroney as the yes. famous SNL sketch. I think about that sketch all the time. That's how I tell the difference between them. Rafiq was working for me at Contrapos since you were in prison with a bunch of other low-life thugs. I didn't think you'd object to me using the warehouse for a legitimate business enterprise. Golden Globe winner. Uh, he won that Golden Globe for the playing. Practice. Bobby Donnelly on the practice. Uh, he actually is half Italian. Listen, has so an am Irish I. Name, so. <laughs> so am I. That being said, that is he does Irish not man. telegraph Italian at all. I'm not saying, listen, I'm half Italian. I'm not saying that like we all look alike or anything, but... He does not telegraph. He, he doesn't talk to his dog. He doesn't look anything and... like Chaz Palminteri's kid at all. He no, could no. not be his kid. You can't do that to him. <laughs> <laughs> so crazy story. In 1967, his mother died by suicide in her apartment. But then in 2012, McDermott asked the Waterbury, Connecticut police chief to reexamine the case. And they determined that she was murdered <gasps> by her live-in boyfriend. What? There's a lot of wide open mouths here. Wow. Yeah, right? Good for him. Uh, That guy will not be charged, though, because he was found dead in a trunk of a car five years after that happened. Is this going to be a plot point we're going to see on this organized crime show? Because it sure sounds like it. It, Well, well, they had the audacity that time to have a plot point that uh, the victim in, in, in SVU where Benson learned that the victim was decapitated underneath a car. Oh, yeah. my God. Just like her mother. Yeah. yeah, that's right. They did. Ooh. Yeah. Do you think that Dylan McDermott killed this guy and stuffed him in a trunk? Uh, he was 10 years old, but his alibi is shaky. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so who is the actress playing Anya Bell, who is the task force head? I checked your notes. I saw you talk to Angela Wheatley. That's right. You know Professor Wheatley? Not personally. Impressive woman, though. I'm going to need to know everything about that conversation. I don't know. know. Loved her, though. That's Danielle Monet Truitt. She played Rebel Knight on the TV show Rebel. She also voiced the character. Is that a new show, Rebel? That's come out with Katie Seagal. Is that was that that one? No, because she's Rebel on that show. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, there's a whole other rebel show. Oh, okay. where she was the lead and I think she was a cop. But you're right. Katie Seagal does have a show coming out named that. Uh, apparently, you can't copyright a title. <laughs> <laughs> 
So she voiced the character Georgia in the Disney cartoon The Princess and the Frog and was able to parlay that into a role as Georgia in the Princess and the Frog video game. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, no, at that time <laughs> that it's true. Yes. It's absolutely true. Yeah. God damn it. Man, that's where the cash is. God damn it. So who's playing Professor Angela Wheatley? We were never married, and he died in 1997 of a heroin overdose. The only thing he ever gave my son was a genetic predisposition for substance abuse. Fun, huh? She looked familiar, but I don't. I didn't recognize yeah, her. Love her. Yeah, that's Tamara Taylor. She played Camille for eleven seasons on Bones. Uh huh. Which watch you that. didn't watch Bones? No. My daughter loved that show. <laughs> nah. She got her start on Party of Five. Oh, that's actually probably where I know her from. She yeah. played what's his face's girlfriend for a while, right? Well, it, I love Party of Five. By the way. Her, <laughs> her casting might have something to do that she is a second cousins with uh, Neve Campbell. Really? Oh. Really? Yep. Uh-huh. So that's how she ended up on Party of Five. Well, one can assume. Very interesting. <laughs> one can assume, but it was good for her. Did you catch who was playing Father Hogan at the funeral? No. No. It was Elliot that introduced me to Kathy 37 years ago. Okay, well, we only see the guy in profile while music is playing over his lines. That's Michael O'Leary. I'm dropping this one for you, Rebecca. He played Dr. Rick Bauer for about 30 years on The Guiding Light. Oh, I never watched The Guiding Light, so oh. I, I'm just a little bit really? unfamiliar with those. Yeah. He had his sister committed. He faked Philip's death. Oh, I know who Philip is. I watched it enough. Okay. I'm Philip and Nina, I remember, but that's about it. He totally would have fit in with the staplers. After <laughs> 100%. All that. But he married them? That was the whole thing? Yes. Yeah. Why do you want the guy who, I mean, that's, I know it's like Catholic, a Catholic thing, totally right? Totally a Catholic yeah. thing. You want to have the same person be at all your life events? Oh, sure. Yes. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, who do you really love? <laughs> yeah. The same with, you know, from cradle to grave, yeah, right? Yeah, I guess. He did all the baptisms. You yeah. know, he's the go-to guy. I have the same dentist, so why not the same <laughs> No, I mean, I grew up Catholic. That's Catholic as hell. You have the same, yeah. you ideally have the same priest do all the things, because if he's good enough, you rebook him for all your events. Duh. Right. You don't right. want a stranger priest giving that eulogy. And if it's oh, a yeah. priest who's been transferred a bunch, you definitely don't want him. <laughs> yeah. The rest of you. <laughs> <laughs> he stuck around New York. He's probably good. Look, I feel bad because uh, the actor, Michael O'Leary, had to take like, you know, 15 COVID tests up his nose to be on primetime television. And he (laughs) apparently gets cut out. I would assume there's more of that speech, but they probably had to cut it out because they had so much Ferris wheel stuff. They had had so much non-character introductions to do, which is so funny because after I finished taking. So I watched this twice, as I mentioned. And uh, the second time I finished it up. And right as I finished it, I had USA on watching reruns and the pilot of SVU was on. And the first Mm -hmm. lines in the show, in the series, are uh, Elliot Stabler and Olivia Benson. So we get introduced to them right away. I do not know a single person's name outside of Wheatley, Sinatra, and Wheatley again. Yeah. I don't know any of those yeah. people's names. And that hacker, Jet Slamuth or whatever, she's going to be a, a Is recurring she a podcaster? character. She's, you she's would got think. big podcaster she, energy. She had, she had like, she had like uh, acoustic foam all over her. Right? Was that her apartment? Yeah. Was that oh, her probably for hacking soundproofing reasons, I guess. That was yeah. my thinking. I was... This is a show I don't watch, but I've only seen enough of it while changing the channels to know. Isn't there like a weird hacker woman on one of those uh, CBS NCIS. procedurals? No. Yeah. yeah, it felt very NCI. It felt very CBS. Yeah, to have a goth Ugh. hacker living in a podcast studio. Yeah. <laughs> so, who is the actor appearing as mob boss Manfredi Sinatra? I'm a building contractor, so what do I know? But it sounds to me like some very small time worthless crap over. Chaz Palminteri. Yes, that's Oscar nominee Chaz Palminteri, if you do, if you uh, please. Second Law & Order appearance. You know him from 
Bullets Over Broadway, A Bronx Tale, and The Usual Suspects. He also played Angie Harmon's father in Rizzoli and Isles. Oh, really? Which hmm. you're binging right now. I've been watching it. It's very guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> Speaking of weird shows on USA, <laughs> Lifetime. Uh, Chaz once gave an interview about how it was growing up in the Bronx, and he said, oh, the big kids would beat up the little kids, and the little kids would beat up the even littler kids. And he says, nowadays, kids sit around and play Facebook. <laughs> He's so old. Oh, that, he's actually not that old, though. <laughs> I think he turns uh, 70 this year. He looks older oh my God. than that. Yeah. yeah. He, looks, he, mm-hmm. looks, he has been living hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when he was uh, a little younger, he had a band. He was the lead singer. Do you know what the band's name was? No. Rasma Chaz. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> All right, so Stabler and Anya Bell, the head of the task force, are not getting along. And finally, we get our Greek chorus scene when a neutral observer calls out Stabler for the kind of cop he was. I'm getting pretty sick and tired of everybody judging who I was from 12 years ago. I was a damn good cop then. I'm a better cop now. You talk to my people in Rome. You talk to anybody I've ever worked with. I already did. And? And I observed you firsthand threatening witnesses that are essential to my case. That won't happen again. Oh, it will happen again. Guys who came up when you did, you guys never think you really need to change your ways. Really? You know you're profiling me right now? Detective Stabler, you don't know a damn thing about being profiled. Real life Stabler ought to be working mall security, of course. But are the fans willing to let the character of Stabler recalibrate, repent, and be redeemed. Well, he's on the show, so we have to. I mean, we don't have a choice. Yeah. But I, you know, did you notice the scene with the motorcycle shooting where he pulled up and didn't shoot? Like, oh he, yeah. He, yeah. He took his gun out so fast. By the way, how, you, we know a lot of cops just because of like the kind of work we uh, used to do in our crime writing work mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and you used to be a journalist, and I've talked to cops all the time. If you talk to any cop, they will tell you that they've either never unholstered their gun, yeah. mm-hmm. or have done it like. Once and it was the most memorable worst They've day. They never on the discharged job. their weapon. Yeah, even right. knew Elliot like <laughs> instant ready to, to be like ready to pull the strap. <laughs> <laughs> but he did pull out. He did. He like looked at the gun and then mm. pulled it back. And I was like, well, that was a good choice because that motorcyclist was in between like fifty civilians. Grow <laughs> right, right, right. He draws his weapon. He aims down the street and decides better than firing into a potential crowd to shoot a fleeing suspect in the back. And I thought. Well, maybe he has changed. <laughs> I think in the end, we have to like Stabler in order to watch this show. And mm. however that means getting there, I mean, maybe people will like Stabler if he keeps slapping people around. Like, oh, well, they're mobsters or whatever the hell. Mm. But I think he is the right character to come in and try to be the foil for, you know, reconciling fictional policing with what we know about real life policing. It just feels so it couldn't be it couldn't be much coming in. It would be a joke. I don't know. It just seems so like antiquated and weird to me. I was thinking last night we were watching the show about um NYPD Blue. Yeah. And of course, famously they had the Sipowitz, a cop who crossed the line all the time. Yep. But we were not supposed to like his behavior as an audience member. Like we were right. supposed to see it as yeah. disgusting. Like we were. We were supposed to see it that way. Like Stephen Bochco was like, "This is what cops are like. I'm going to show it to you. It's gritty, and I'm going to make you gritty, feel man. the way you would feel if you saw it." And that was what was so genius about him pa- them pairing him with Sharon Lawrence because she was like, "You can't fucking do that." Like it was yeah. genius. Um, and here we are. How many years ago was that show? And we're just supposed to be learning along with Elliot that like. 
like being this isn't okay. It just feels it feels like really it's it just feels like we're out of time here, like anachronistic or something, you know? It's ridiculous. So if you're gonna meet clandestinely, yes. maybe you don't do it at on a Ferris wheel and then turn on all the lights. <sighs> the best. They paid for that like shooting space and they were like, We're gonna use it as much as we can. Yeah. That was so long. That's look protracted. We watched the guy walk over and hit the control panel in slow motion, mm. all the lights. It was like when that guy turned on the sun in that SVU episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just FYI, they shot the exteriors before they took the carts off for the winter, I guess that's what they do. Oh. All those interior shots were done on on the studio. Oh, inside yeah, the, the yeah. yeah, you'll notice like the looks a little the, green screen. Perfective yeah. stuff is a little different, but yeah. yeah. And so Richard is trying to explain to his father like what it is to be woke. <laughs> I and now you're suddenly woke. Woke? You're not a racist anymore. What I'm trying to tell you is, I regret the ugly things I said about your children, my grandchildren, especially about your beautiful wife. Love is love? Indeed. Love is love. Look, he says he cannot forgive him for that time he said that thing about his black wife and kids. But for real, we know. It wasn't the one time. There's <laughs> no time. possible way it was one time. I mean, I I am sort of amazed at the the openness with which he married women of color strictly to piss off his father. Like, obviously, yep. they're both mm-hmm. beautiful women. So that's, you know, it's a little shallow on that level, too. But like. It's very openly like, my dad's a racist. I'm going to get back at him by using these black women as pawns. Which is also racist, by the way. I kind of feel like, though, that that his affection for his kids and his ex-wife and his new girlfriend, I kind of feel like that's genuine. Yes, but there is a thing. I don't have a reason yet to believe that it's a revenge thing. But He's a white man who clearly fetishizes black women. That's what it is. Like I do believe that that the feelings are there and that they're genuine, but I don't think it it would have hit different. It wouldn't have hit the same. It's real bad. Yeah, it's real bad. And, you know, he's one of these white guys, too, who thinks he's not racist because he's like, I have a black I have black kids. I don't see color. Mm-hmm. It's like fucking bullshit. That's no, all I have, you I see. Love the, I have black grandchildren. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like that. You had nothing to do with that. Yeah. Right. At least Chaz admits he sees color. Right. <laughs> That's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I guess. And, and we're kind of left to think like it was he used that one word. But I've seen the Sopranos. Old Italian men are the thesaurus of ethnic slurs. <laughs> I grew up in. In northern New Jersey, I, as like a biracial woman myself, I, yeah, no, I've, I've lived it. That's- <laughs> so Stabler finds Sinatra dead on the Ferris wheel. And so to unlock the dead man's phone, Amazing. Oh, the best. Amazing. he opens the corpse's eyes and does face ID. Amazing. Absolutely iconic. I'll tell you, what he doesn't do, though, is then turn off the screen clothes thing he has yeah. to do that immediately otherwise Put it in his pocket while, oh shit i gotta go back he's gonna have to go yeah he turned he's gonna have to go back to that dead thing over like why didn't he use his yeah. thumb he should have cut off his thumb and taken it with him yeah so yeah i i it was a droid so i don't know i wouldn't be able to figure out how to do that <laughs> I, was it because like i don't know like the face id i don't know. i don't think apple would appreciate a scene that showed somebody's dead eyes being able to unlock their phone. It may give people ideas. And Apple does claim that you you can't be, use a dead thumb to well, you can't, they claim that. Right. Well, that's the whole thing with Knives Out, right? You can tell who the bad guy is because they don't have the Apple phone. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I swear. I saw, Well, I saw it on TikTok, so who knows? But. <laughs> so, look, off the top of this episode, we get a continuation of the reconciliation process of Benson and Stabler. 
And then so they, they meet at the park and she comes to the funeral. Then at the end, she wants to talk about what's in the letter. Why are you here? I was just out at Hunt's Point and I uh, read your letter and thought we'd talk about it. I want to talk. I just, um, I can't right now. Hey, yeah. are you working? I got to go. So what do we think's in the letter? Um, do you think it's like, do you think I'm cute? Check yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> in a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for a Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the Headlines. The influence of the Italian mafia in America has been greatly weakened, given way to groups from Eastern Europe. But organized crime in Italy remains alive and well. The New York mob maintains close ties with the Mafia in Sicily, but Italian officials' efforts to crack down on the Cosa Nostra has allowed the new faction of mobsters to take power. When the government began dismantling the Sicilian organisation in the north, its rivals from the boot of Italy began expanding its influence. The Calabrian crime syndicate, known as Endraghetta, is now the most powerful Mafia group in the country. Officials say the major difference is this syndicate keeps a much lower profile. No more public displays of wealth. No more headline-grabbing assassinations of judges or kidnappings of journalists. Andragheta bosses stay close to their southern Italian villages. Their foot soldiers live like actual soldiers, stationed in hidden bunkers connected with secret tunnels. While their style may be different, their operation is the same. The Calabrian Mafia makes their money in protection rackets, prostitution, counterfeiting, arms sales and the drug trade. It's estimated the Endraghetta makes about 53 billion euros annually. That was very informative. Yeah, that's actually uh, more than Deutsche Bank and McDonald's make together, Hmm. which, by the way, are the two favorite businesses of our former president. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, it's so funny because I don't even think about the Italian mob anymore. I just think that like I think of him as like this adorable old school relic because Mm -hmm. like the mobs that exist now are so much scarier, sort of like the Eastern European Russian mafia, Mm -hmm. like the Russians fucking kill people with radioactive poison in other countries. You never know when you're going to get it. And, you know, it just it seems like this. I didn't even know this was a thing anymore. Wasn't that sort of the thing why in American culture we've we're attracted to Costa Nosa because uh, they're flashy and they're old school and there's like this code of honor that they have and so it's rom- a romanticized version of organized crime which again we're comfortable with yeah i mean i it's funny because i had watched the sopranos for the first time just before the pandemic hit um Mm -hmm. weird choice on my part but uh, (laughs) i and i like this show did kind of highlight for me like how boring i found all the actual organized crime stuff on the sopranos like the actual interpersonal dynamics were much more interesting to me but yeah i think 
especially now like hip hop culture has kind of moved away from it and like all of that glamorization. Like it's interesting to see it brought back. It's like, oh, yeah, that is a thing. Yes. So there was a huge crackdown on Endragetta in December 2019. And, I mean, where they rounded up hundreds. I remember seeing that on the news. <laughs> yeah. And so right now they're conducting a mass trial of 350 people to do that. They built a courtroom. They're going to try them all at once. They built a courtroom to hold 1,000 people. Like the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> the Olympics include, of organized yeah. crime trials. It's like press filing place, tables and computers and TVs everywhere. And they built it uh, before the pandemic. So now all the everybody's appearing on video. Yeah. So that was a big waste of a building. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe wherever that is, we'll get the Olympics someday. And that can be where they have like the bicycle racing or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so last month they were able to make an additional arrest. A mid-level drug smuggler fled Italy before he could be caught. And he was off the radar for years until he was spotted making cooking videos on YouTube. Get in the most like that 2020s guy? twist ever. Yeah. That guy. That guy, yeah. That was a crime of the week on Crime Writers on, Kevin. He double dipped. <laughs> I double dipped. <laughs> Look, they identified him by the tattoos on his arms because uh, they never showed his face, but he was, you know, rolling out the ravioli Get or out. whatever. Fan-fucking-tastic. Yeah. You know, not the best way to keep a low profile, I suppose. Uh, I think, though... He knew what to do because, like in Goodfellas, you gotta stir the gravy. Right, can't let it burn. That is gonna do it for us on this special edition of These Are Their Stories, two episodes for the crossover. We wanna thank our very special guest. We're gonna credit this as doing double episodes. Yes. Uh, Sonia Sell. Sonia, where can our listeners follow you online? So you can follow me at Sonia Marie Says on Twitter. Uh, you can follow my show, which is uh, sort of on hiatus due to life stuff, but we're coming back soon. Uh, rewind the love for all of your nostalgic 2000s, but with a 2020 critical lens needs. And Rebecca Lavoie, how can our listeners follow you online? Uh, Twitter and Instagram. I am at Reb Lavoie, and I'm thinking about starting a YouTube cooking channel. I'll keep you up to date. Okay, your hands are lovely. <laughs> and you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are The Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, except for this one, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio. It is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.